Hey, Starting Nine listeners, you can find every episode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. For us, golf is simple. It's a chance to get out and have some fun with our friends. But inevitably, little things have a way of ruining it. The group ahead is taking forever. You can't find the fairway with a map. And the Bev cart is nowhere to be found. And the best way to make a bad day better is Fireball Whiskey. You get their nips, the little shooters. They are great. Makes bad day way, way, way better. Make sure to grab the new Fireball Birdie Shot Club. It's literally a golf club filled with Fireball Nip. Put it in your bag. It'll fit right in that side pocket. Drink Fireball Nips and have a great time on the golf course. Welcome back to Starting Nine, episode 54. We got Dallas Braden over there in San Francisco. He's covering his A's. We got Jay Hay in studio. He's loving his tribe. And then there's me. Then there's me. I'm just, you know, it's another day. It's just another fucking day of being a Red Sox fan, Dallas, which I'm sure you can attest to because you adopted the Red Sox over the weekend. Uh, but we have Joe Davis on the podcast today, the television voice of the L.A. Dodgers. I'm sure we'll get to uh, plenty of West Coast baseball with him, uh, as if you don't already get enough from Dallas. Uh, last night, did you actually, did you see my tweet last night about Chris Davis, Dallas? Uh, no, I did not see your tweet about Chris Davis, Jared. I, I am actually, I, I'm balls deep calling the baseball game as that goes on. You know what I mean? They're playing the game. I'm talking about it. So, no, I didn't. I, I didn't see it. Well, I'm sorry. I, I mean, to counter your, the point that you just made, I mean, there's been plenty of times where I've tweeted about the A's, and lo and behold, there's a retweet from Dallas acknowledging my tweet about the A's. So let's not, let's, let's not act like you've never seen my sometimes A's my coverage. Evening, sometimes my evening just doesn't lend itself to, to scrolling frequently you know what i mean i'm an in-between innings guy Mm -hmm. or if i'm looking for something if i'm looking for numbers i might come across something uh i was just fortunate in that regard but no i did not see i mean i i I hope it was something nice you had to say i don't think i've ever tweeted anything mean about the ace i was gonna say were you probably talking about how chris davis has the most home runs since the all-star break since 2016 is that what you were saying no no, I, I, but I did. I did sort of board the your bandwagon of Chris Davis being an MVP candidate. Oh, really? And, it, and it's actually it's incredible to me how many people took that as Chris Davis is going to win the MVP. Of course, because yeah. nuance does oh, the, so well on Twitter. Right. Yes, I was like right. Chris Davis establishing himself very much as an American League MVP candidate. I was like, "What, dude, Moki? What about JD, dude? Like, what are you talking about, kid?" It's like, "All right, uh, yeah. I said candidate. <laughs> I said candidate. Yeah, candidate can finish yeah, fifth. It, yeah, yeah, right. in the conversation, right? Yeah, right. Like, in the when, conversation at the end of the year when we do our MVP or, or like end of the season award show." Chris Davis's name will be mentioned when we talk about the American League MVP. Like, that's just a thing that's going to happen. You're going to look at the postseason teams. You're going to talk about Mike Trout because, obviously, he won't be on one. Uh, but he'll be in there. He'll probably fucking win it. Uh, but then you're going to talk about players from the Yankees. You're going to talk about players from the Red Sox. You're going to talk about players from the A's. Even if they don't get that wild card spot. I still think that they've gone. They've made whoa, enough, whoa, of a, enough of a statement here. Uh, where, mean, even if they don't get what wild card spot, they've already got one wild card spot. They're looking to take the second. They're actually looking for the division. So, like, like, don't act like it's just not a like, like if, if huge if. Like, yeah, if, if we've seen slides before, Jared. We've seen slides. Teams yeah. have blown leads. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I would say it's probably a bad sign that the Yankees. Uh, 
have been struggling against the the White Sox of all time. That's not a good sign. It's not a it's, it's not a great not. sign. I mean, I guess what's good to see is Sonny Gray's pitching well again. Three shutout, uh, right? But it's in it's, it's in a different role these days. But mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. so up and up for the up and up for the pinstripers. Yeah. All right. So so then I guess like what. Without talking about any of the, the major topic, what was your biggest takeaway from, from the last time that we spoke to each other on this particular program? Well, uh, what was the biggest takeaway? From the past week well, in baseball. We, yeah, we were, <clears throat> if I remember correctly, as I said, I, I sort of, um, I planted my flag temporarily uh, on the other side of the fence in Red Sox Nation territory. I was yeah. welcomed with open arms. It was it was a tremendous ride for myself. It was it, it, it was fun. I told you, Jared. I, I I don't expect the thank you. I, I don't expect that from you. Uh, I just a simple acknowledgement of the fact that the Red Sox, under my tenure, are undefeated in 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 my fandom tenure. That yeah. that's real. Those are facts. There is no arguing with that. They absolutely treated like they they, they treated the New York Yankees. Like a fucking stepchild, mm-hmm. like the stepchild. You, not not even the stepchild. You're okay with people knowing that is yours. The stepchild, where you're like, nah, n- no, uh-uh. mm-hmm. no. I think no. That's uh, that's her. That's her cousin. That's not. No, mm-hmm. I don't have the one. You just completely fucking deny. That's who they treated the Yankees like over this. It's been a. It's been a slide. It's been a slippery slope for the Na- for the New York Yankees. Yeah. Uh, my biggest takeaway from this past week is I think the Braves are going to hold up. I think when we were talking about the Braves in April and May, more more May is when we started to be like, all right, the, you know, this team, look out for this team this year. I think, you know, Jay Hay was on them before the season started on, on paper. But once we started to see them play uh, actual baseball games, it was like, oh, is this going to be a year that we're paying attention to the Braves? And then as you go into the All-Star break, you're sort of talking about uh, how are they going to hold up in the second half? You know, a lot of young players there, their first major league seasons, they're not used to uh, the wear and tear of a 162-game schedule. Are they going to hold up? I think, I think Dallas, I'm comfortable with saying the Atlanta Braves are going to hold up. I think I'm confident in that. And I don't think that that so much uh, has to do with them as it does with, the, I guess, the teams around them. Like, I don't, I don't believe in the teams around them. I, I believe in the Braves. I do. Uh, but I'm also sort of looking at the teams that surround them. Um, you know, the, the D-backs are legit. After that, I don't believe in, in the crop of teams beneath them. So, I mean, so you got are, – are, are you talking wild card spot is what you're talking um, as of right now, yeah. I mean, I, I obviously love the Phils. I, I, I'll, I'll double down again. I, I guaranteed Smitty a Phillies NLCS appearance. I guaranteed that. So uh, I would say the Phillies right now, probably hold right now the division. Phillies are at a 69% chance at a playoff spot. The Braves sit at 39%, I believe. And the Nats coming behind them at forty three percent. That's just for the division. Yeah, that's for the division. And Bryce Harper, and I know we're going to get to this in a little bit. Bryce Harper starting to heat up. Oh, he's Bryce been heating up. Not, he's, he's been. Well, yeah. The, I, I, well, hold on. We'll we'll save that for later because that's a whole big discussion uh, about the Nationals and about Bryce Harper. 
Um, that's that's something that we need to pick apart uh, here today. Um, so we'll, we'll get to we'll get to our pal Bryce. Before we do that, though, this episode is brought to you by our friends at Dunkin' Donuts. We all know that afternoon feeling when we are battling to get through the day. Uh, you know, there's plenty of days where I'm here and I'm just like, you know what? I'd rather take a nap than do a podcast. Can't do it though. Sometimes I sometimes I black out on radio. So, yeah, I mean that happens. I too. wake up and Pecan's talking about like eating out his own belly button. <laughs> the issue is, we always have so much more to do. I mean, like we're doing podcasts here, we're doing radio here, uh, we got a blog, we got to do everything. We just did a carnival video yesterday. We don't have time to just take breaks with so much going on. In an empty stomach, it's difficult to know where to start. That's where the new Dunkin' Run menu can help with delicious $2 snacks. I actually had one yesterday when we did the carnival video. Uh, they had, uh, it was like some like cinnamon like donut thing. I was like, wow. It was, it was actually uh, a very pleasurable experience. And it, it kept me from just straight up leaving the carnival thing because I was very tired and I was very hungry and I just didn't want to be there at all. Oh, God. I really, I, that was not a pleasurable experience. Yesterday. How do you not like carnivals? Carnivals are awesome. No, carnivals are awesome, but standing around in a 105-degree weather. It had to have been top. a 1,000% humidity. Yesterday. Oh, yeah. It, well, it's a good thing you had your Dunkin'. That's a good yeah, point. It did have my Cool Dunkin'. you off. The Dunkin' Run menu has the perfect snacks to get you through the afternoon. They have a variety of delicious snacks for only $2. They got the donut fries, which is what I had, uh, gluten-free fudge brownie, pretzel bites, ham and cheese roll-ups, waffle breaded chicken tenders. Wow, that sounds like it's right up my alley, actually. Next time you hit that 2 p.m. wall and you aren't sure you can make it through the day, then it's time to make a Dunkin' Run and grab the perfect afternoon pick-me-up. Oh, I'm actually going to do that. Uh, we haven't yet recorded our interview. I might dip out during the podcast and go get some Duncan. America runs on Duncan. Jared runs on Duncan. Dallas runs on Duncan. Jay Hay runs on Duncan. And Barstool runs on Duncan. Um, this was an interesting story from this past week. Mike Sosha. It was originally oh. reported that Mike Sosha was uh, stepping down at the end of the season. Uh, you know. He has since refuted this. Mike Sosha is like, wait just a minute. Uh, (laughs) That's actually fake news. So uh, I guess that sort of begs the question of where did this come from? Uh, Was there a meeting to discuss this that Mike Sosha was not included in? And that's where where the report came from. Maybe some executives got together and said, hey, after the season, we're going to we're going to have to ask Mike Sosha to step down or maybe should we have this discussion now about approaching Mike Sosha to step down at the end of the season. So if, if information like this comes out and then Mike Sosha is confronted about it, of course he's going to say uh, that he either didn't know about it or this isn't true. That's sort of where I'm leaning is that there was a, a conversation that took place about him stepping down that he just was not included in. Dallas, what do you think? Uh, I think there's a good chance that that happened because – Mike Sosha is not somebody anybody wants to draw the straw of telling. Um, <clears throat> so, so we're gonna we're gonna head a different direction. Um, we're gonna go ahead and let you. Nobody wants to be the guy ran in to that buzzsaw. 
Nobody wants any part of that. We're talking about the second longest tenured fucking manager in baseball since Bobby Cox. Like a, a, a an absolute like staple. Isn't that the problem Angels though? Baseball. Like, isn't that the problem? Because I, I I think, and we talked about this on your radio show. Theo Epstein said in 2011 when he left Boston that everybody, managers, executives, everyone has a shelf life. He was talking about himself. Fact. He was talking about Fact. Terry Francona, who's the best manager in Red Sox history. Uh, he is uh, one of the best, if not the best manager of this current crop, this generation of managers. Uh, and then Theo Epstein talking about himself, who's probably the best baseball executive of this generation. So for everyone, no one to be above the shelf life rule with a, a specific team how is it that Mike Sosha has made it even this long? Is it just like one of those awkward conversations where he's so ingrained in that organization that uh, no one wants to be the guy that tells him to leave? Like it's so almost one of those things where, you know, you, you have a girl come over and the next morning you just expect her to be like, all right, yeah, uh, this is awkward now. I'm going to leave. Or they're just supposed to take the hint be like, yeah, I've been here for too long. I should probably go. And then he just never took the hint of, I should probably go. Yeah. Well, it's, it's also, it's also like the fucking, the complete shit show of a drunk human being who shows up at the kegger early. And they're the nice guy who's going to pour a beer for everyone. And then that nice guy who's pouring beer for everyone turns into the slightly sloppy guy who still hasn't left the keg who's still kindly trying to pour beer for everyone. And now that guy turns into the guy who's completely shit-faced. He's blacked out. There's a good chance he spilt his beer into your beer while forcibly trying to fill up your beer now because he's saying, ah, I fucking been filling up all fucking day here. Old party up in here. Old party. Where have you been? I haven't stopped in here filling up. And you're trying to get that guy to get off the keg now. And there's no fucking chance it's happening. That's kind of how this feels like it's going to play out or it's gone down because Socha has been, I mean, <clears throat> look, coming from a guy, as, as I said, who's grown, who grew up in the AOS, has spent all my time in the AOS, my long, illustrious, extremely storied career in one division. Many my people Socha still talk about that division. Mostly just you. But they, they are. Still they're, they're still it. rumblings. That thing, doesn't, that thing doesn't die beyond a whisper. Mm-hmm. And the brand of baseball they've played for a long time has been associated with hard-nosed Mike Socha type brand of baseball. We're going to go first to third. We're running everything out. We're playing defense. We will play small ball if we have to. It doesn't matter. We're going to do all of the little things the right way. That's kind of been the MO for the Angels and the brand of baseball that they've played under Socha. And frankly, he has dealt with a myriad of fucking injuries. He's seen his starting pitching staffs just get decimated at times. I mean, he got the Japanese Babe Ruth in town only to have him go fucking UCL grade two sprain piece. And now he's talking about getting back on the mound and what a great day that's going to be. And Socha is probably sitting here going, holy fuck, this guy, this guy's, this guy's probably going to blow out. I mean, he's dropping dick right now and I'm loving that, but I thought he was going to be 97 off the bump and dropping dick. And I've got to use him sparingly in the DH role. The mound thing is still a, a, a ways away. Like Mike Trout hasn't been to the playoffs in eons. Like what? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it is time for me to leave. Maybe, maybe that's what he's thinking. To, in some ways, I think this is sort of really easy to explain 
how he's been there. Mm-hmm. He won the World Series in his third year, mm-hmm. right? A World Series they probably weren't supposed to win, quote unquote, in terms of expect- oh. <laughs> in terms of expectations, yeah. both at the beginning of that season and the actual World Series. <clears throat> so there's that. I think that based on every article I've ever read about the Angels and Mike Sosha, it seemed that that, along with whatever is appealing about his personality, ingrained him to Artie Moreno. Like every single time Mike Sosa's job yes. security has ever been discussed, it they discuss how tight he is with the owner. He has outlasted, I don't know exactly how many GMs, but several. Um, and so I think that's why he's still there. But you're also looking at a team that's 500, basically a 500 team over the last four years. They have one, assuming they don't make the most miraculous of comebacks this year, they will have one postseason appearance in the last nine years. Um, and Dallas brought up an, a point that I think is really interesting, which is the identity of the team. Yes. I, I think over the last, maybe even as long as 10 years, but certainly over the last five, that identity really no longer actually exists with the Los Angeles or the Anaheim Angels, Los Angeles Angels, of Anaheim, <laughs> whatever the fuck they're called. Like at the beginning, that, that World Series team, those teams before and after those years, they were the brand of baseball that Mike Sosha became known for. You know, that, like you said, first to third, a little bit of small ball, some speed, some defense. And as his tenure went on and on, the roster looked less and less like that caliber or, or that sort of team. And I just, Yeah, they just didn't have that construction. Yeah, they became like, you know, station to station after a while. And I don't even know how you would describe this year's team uh, in terms of its identity. But, you know, I, at, at some point, it probably does help to have a different voice. And Billy Epler, the current GM, didn't pick Mike Sosa. No, and I feel like even if you do make a switch with the with the manager, they still have a long way to go. And and you sort of just sort of you know go back and look at the major decisions that they've made just in the last I don't know, call it eight years. Like I remember them rolling out C.J. Wilson to a parade and Albert Pujols to a parade and Shohei Otani. It's always like this big thing and. They have fallen short of expectations every single time uh, when they feel like they're sort of onto something. So it's not it's not for a lack of effort that the Angels have made the postseason once in what was it, the last nine years? You yep, said yep. it's not for a lack of effort. It's not for a lack of um, commitment from the ownership. I feel like I think that they've made financial commitments where they've felt like they were making I, the right decision. But obviously, I t- you know, I tell you, I tell you what will be interesting is to see exactly what route they do go if it is away from Soch because Dino Ebel, his bench coach, uh, his third base coach, excuse me, who's been there forever with him would be a natural candidate to slide right in. But that's kind of what you're trying to, I don't know if it's safe to say what you're trying to avoid, but that's what you don't want to repeat, right? Is continuing that same culture or lack of identity, whatever it is, you know, that Jay Hay kind of mentioned, if you just let that same understudy slide right in, you're basically getting Soch 2.0. So is it a Eric Chavez who has no managerial experience whatsoever, but has been brought into the fold as an assistant to the GM? I mean, is it Eric Hensky who's been brought in as the as the uh, hitting coach, I believe? Like, like who 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 is it? What route do they end up going? That is the question. Um, the the one thing I want to throw in here, Dallas brought up injury. I think both of you brought up injuries. 
Here's where they rank in days spent on the disabled list by team the last three years. Oh, God. Third this year, fifth last year, second the year before. Mm. It's literally been an unending wave of injuries per year for these team for this team. And yeah. I mean, we talked about it at the beginning of the year. They were not a team that had a tremendous amount of depth, mm. particularly on the starting pitching staff, and all of it plus some was wiped out. What was the year that Garrett Richards got carted off? Was that sixteen? Uh, sixteen with the fucking. You're talking about with the uh, with his elbow? No, uh, it was like a leg injury. No, where he yeah. Co- yeah, he like collapsed running to first, he right? Tore his, uh, 2014. He tore his 14? Yep. Holy shit. I was there yeah, that. Tore his that patellar was... tendon. Yikes. Oh, before we move on, last thing I want to say. Yeah. I I respect Sosha that he didn't take the low-hanging fruit and call the report fake news. He called it poppycock. Oh. That's how you know you're old school as fuck. <laughs> poppycock. Call it poppycock. Um, wow, Corey Seager. That means something. Yeah, that means something. Yeah, it means yeah. I'm bringing it back. That's yeah. what it means. I'm going to be saying that all the time. Firing now. off poppycock. Uh, Corey Seager is undergoing hip surgery while he's recovering from Tommy John surgery. Uh, this, so you you could go a number of different ways here. Um, originally, I thought that it was reported that the Dodgers. It was either reported or the Dodgers kind of just outright said this is a rental in regards to Manny Machado. They've taken that back. Like yeah. they, they plan on pursuing Manny Machado in the offseason as a free agent, and they've talked about moving Turner to first base. Uh, I still don't know what that would mean in terms of the Seager-Machado dynamic because Machado wants to play shortstop, uh, and Seager is a shortstop, so there would have to be some moving parts there. But... With with this, you know, hip surgery that's going on for for Seager, Dave Roberts still expects him to be ready for spring training next year. Um, I guess, I guess that sort of heightens the intrigue about the Dodgers' pursuit for Manny Machado as a free agent now, because you know, coming back from two major surgeries like that, obviously Machado is far from a quote unquote insurance policy. But doesn't that sort of increase the Dodgers' willingness to, to, to give Manny Machado a blank check this offseason? I think what this does now is it gives real credence to the thought that they just look at Corey Seager and go, hey, man, that was an awesome display of what you could do at shortstop. But <clears throat> you've obviously got some tread off the tire fairly early on here in your career as far as the elbow goes, as far as the hip goes. We're going to ease you back into mobility. I know it's going to be a fresh year for you. The hip's going to be right. That labrum's going to be nice and taken care of. We've we've taken off the fraying. The TJ, we got your zipper and everything. You're good to go now. Um, but it's going to be at third base. That's, that's where it's going to be because we've seen what Manny can do. Uh, based on Manny's numbers at shortstop, that's where he needs to play. He's more productive offensively there. Let's go that route. And Mr. Seeger, third base. Third base, Mr. Seeger. We feel like we're going to have an outstanding left side of the lineup for a while, or outstanding left side of the field for a while here. The only problem is I think that spurs, or could potentially spur, a couple years where you're going, what the fuck are the Dodgers doing with Seeger and Machado on the left side of the infield? And it seems like they're fucking it up. Like, I, I would hate to think that they're just not able to ever get comfortable because maybe they're finding themselves and and it's insane to think that you would have such high caliber shortstop type players 
on the same team, on the same side of the field, and not be able to keep them happy or keep them comfortable in a position because you're trying to appease somebody or the other. You know, do you just excuse me? Just turn your back on your rookie of the year? Tell him to go fuck off and hang out at third base? Mm, no. Or, or do you sort of try to ease him into the notion that this guy over, like, is who, who are you taking right now? As far as defense is concerned, who are you taking? Seager or Machado? Machado. I don't even think that's a question. So then if it's not even a question, it shouldn't even be a conversation that the Dodgers have to entertain with Mr. Seager if they are sincere about pursuing Manny Machado. That is the only hurdle whatsoever, is are you going to offend or to what degree are you going to offend Corey Seager? And if it's something you feel like he should be able to swallow or you actually might just not even really give a fuck, well, then, Seager, wear it. Here comes third base, pal. But I think it's a conversation that you have to have with your young guys because he does have star power. He does have clout in that clubhouse. And he is going to be important moving forward. So you don't want to just burn – I don't want to say burn that bridge, but you don't want to just chap his ass. You don't want to piss him off. You don't want to treat him like that redheaded stepchild, like he's completely disposable. That's not a good feel for your rookie of the year. Can I ask you guys – first of all, it's your point that Corey Seager is not disposable. Corey Seager's career OPS is 40 points higher than Manny Machado's career OPS. So it's easy to forget about guys when they miss – Small body of work. Sure, sure, but it's four – it's like three and a half, four seasons. Um (laughs) Can I, here's another idea, and you guys tell me why I'm an idiot. Since he will be coming back from Tommy John surgery, and I would assume that arm strength will be something that he second needs base. to build yeah. up, could you do – yeah, so second base is one option, or I was even first. thinking you put him at first, you move Cody Bellinger back to the outfield, and then – like Puig is probably not on the team next year, um, or is at least an open question as to it seems like he's an, a yearly offseason topic. You go Turner at third, Machado at short, Muncie at, or Dozier at second base or however you want to divide that up, Corey Seager at first base at least part-time, throw Bellinger in the outfield with some combination of Jock Peterson, um, Yasiel Puig, and whoever else you want to play out there. Bring back Kemp. Bring back Kemp. <laughs> is is yeah. Dozier's a free agent, though, after this Yes, year? he is. Yeah, okay. Um yeah, I, I could see something like that working. I think that makes more sense than the idea of putting Turner at first base. Yeah. Because um, if you put Seager, I, I mean, like, the, the whole... You're disrupting fewer people that way, right? Yeah, and the whole idea of the Tommy John surgery playing a factor into arm strength is is a legitimate concern. Although, you know, most guys that do come back from Tommy John end up throwing as hard or harder, but we're not dealing with a pitcher here. We're dealing with a position player. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say that that's something worth entertaining, especially because I go back to the insurance policy thing. What if Corey Seager's not right uh, next year? And it, I think it's it's more we're, we're overlooking the hip aspect of this. Guys that have well, that's hip what I, that's, that's what I was just going to say is hip mobility. That's the one thing. If you're starting to talk about protecting him or where you can hide him as he starts to recover, first base is a great option because – the lateral movement, although playing in the shift these days, has turned the first baseman into a slightly more athletic venture than it ever really has been. So that would be a bonus to actually have him over at first base because it's not just a trog that you're setting up over there. This is a guy that can fucking move, you know, albeit with a freshly repaired hip. 
So I think first, uh, Jay, I like the idea because first base gives him an opportunity to get his throwing in on the side. Like he would actually be able to, not that he wouldn't be able to do it as a shortstop or a third baseman, but he could really get into a throwing program that would help him get back into position to be able to defend the middle of the field. And I, I think that is ultimately where they would like him to be back health-wise is in a position to defend the middle of the field, whether it be over a third base or indeed a shortstop. They just want to know that he's back at that level defensively. So when we were in D.C. for the All-Star game, one of the uh, multiple guests that we had on uh, was Rick Ankeel, who is a friend of yours, Dallas. And uh, I will say this. So obviously the story with Rick Ankeel is that he's attempting a comeback in 2019 as a pitcher, which I believe would be his age 40 season. Um, I will say this. For as outlandish as that sounds, he was in phenomenal shape. When I saw this dude, I was like, this guy works out. This guy has a gym membership 1,000%. Uh, so I was just curious to get your thoughts, Dallas, on uh, Rick Ankeel's comeback attempt in 2019. Where do you think uh, this road that he's attempting to travel down ends up? Um, I, I mean, he'll he'll get. I, I'll say this because we have no idea what the execution will be like, and that that goes for anybody at this age trying to make a comeback. But specifically for him. That's what you have to consider because the very reason that saw him out of baseball is is what you would be questioning when he's making this comeback. That's what everybody is going to be paying attention to. And let's just say he makes his debut, not at the big league level, but at the professional level. He makes his debut and he does throw two up the backstop and two behind the guy. And it's a four-pitch walk, nothing close. What does what does he do? Is he is he mentally prepared to handle that? Not not because oh man, is this gonna is this gonna wreck him again? Is he mentally prepared to put in all of the work that he's probably already started to put in that would be required to even get that nod and then face that? and swallow that how would he process that you know and it's not about sending him into a spiral it's about can he accept that that is a very real possibility if that does indeed come to fruition what would be his next move what does the second ab of the game look like so it's the mental hurdle more than anything and he's talked about it and he talked about it with us on our show about how he'd work he's working with the guy with the yips and he's been playing catch with him and just sort of, you know, in, in trying to help another individual, a lot of times in this life, you'll figure out, you start to learn something about your own self, your own situation. You start to be able to compartmentalize and process things. And he talked about that being the case for him. So almost becoming at ease and at peace with how things on the mound worked out, because this is a guy who's so supremely talented. He said, fuck it, I'll go play outfield and bang homers for a while until, I don't know, I feel like maybe I can get back on the mound or I want to take it to the house, whatever, enjoy my life for a while. And I'll come out in D.C., sweat my balls off and go, you know what, fuck it, I could be back here at the Midsummer Classic on the mound. My shit is still nasty. 
And that's where he's at right now mentally. That's where he's at. So I'm excited that he has found himself in a mental space that allows him to go and attack this comeback because the idea of Rick Ankiel throwing 95 with a tremendous fucking hammer is something that gets me hard as a rock. <laughs> Uh, so I guess the, the follow-up question here would be, how soon is he going to be on starting nine to talk about this? Oh, we'll have to, uh, we'll have to wrangle him. No, no doubt. Well, I'll, I'll have to get a hold of Ulrich and, and make sure that we get the exclusive. I mean, not the exclusive, but make sure that, that we get some real good insight. Cause he was a, <clears throat> he was awesome to have on the show. He's doing work for, for uh, Fox Sports Southwest, um, doing stuff with the Cardinals. So he's he's been in front of the TV camera. He knows what's up. He knows he, he's an articulate individual as well, and he's just got a lot of he's got a lot of great perspective to give. And especially during a really cool time when a guy trying to come back, there's just a lot to ask him about. And as he said, the pros he's got a list of them, a page full of them. Mm-hmm. The cons to making the comeback, the cons to trying to do it again, just can't find any. He said very tough for him to figure out why he shouldn't or face why he shouldn't do this. Can't figure it out. Like, so, how much of this is motivated by like trying to be an example for people that he's helping? Like how much of that is, you know, like look at well, what I, I've I, overcome, it, not just, not just, um, the age factor. Like he's making a comeback for his age 40 season. He's overcoming the yips. And then, uh, uh Obviously, you do. Rick Ankiel is not some sideshow act. He's not doing this for no. attention. This isn't no. uh, someone coming back and saying, look at me. Uh, I missed the spotlight. It has nothing to do with that. Um, but how much pressure do you think this guy is going to feel knowing that everyone is going to be watching him at, at an age disadvantage with this sort of, I guess, I don't want to call it a mental condition, but it sort of is. Well, I've, I, I, I've, I have to believe that for him to be comfortable enough to talk about these things and for him to be comfortable enough to come out and, and sort of let everybody know that he's been thinking about this, he's been doing this, he, he's in a space where if, he, if it were to just go south very quickly, he'd be okay with it. He'd be fine with it because that in lies the lesson, is the fact that he pursued it. And I think you're right. He mentioned that his kids want to see him play. So it's a lesson that he'll be able to sort of teach his kids and live out in real time for his children. This is what daddy has the ability to do. This is what daddy wants to do right now. So you know what? Daddy's going to do it. Let that be a lesson to you. If you're ever in a position at any point in your life where you feel like, today, today I'm going to dominate the fucking world the way I was supposed to, and it's round two, don't feel like you can't do it because it's your round two or your round three or your round four. Have every bit of the confidence in yourself to get up and stare whoever the fuck it is in that batter's box right in the face and throw your best O2 fucking hammer or O2 heater. Let it fucking eat, kids. That's the lesson. Easy guy to root for. So uh, we'll definitely be looking for that interview on starting nine at some point. But speaking of interviews on starting nine, we've got Joe Davis the television voice of the L.A. Dodgers right now. All right, we are here with Joe Davis. He is the television voice of the L.A. Dodgers. Joe, we uh, first of all, thanks for joining us. 
Uh, we've yeah. been doing some Dodgers talk here today. Uh, the Corey Seager news, undergoing hip surgery. He's also recovering from Tommy John. Uh, what is sort of the the discussion going on out there on talk radio amongst the fans about Corey Seager and uh, his recovery and sort of where he's going to fit uh, with this team next year, assuming that uh, the Dodgers pursue Manny Machado in free agency? Yeah, well, you know, I think first of all, as far as Machado goes in free agency, I think where that becomes a really realistic thing and, and something that, you know, is a serious discussion is if they find a way to win the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I think it'd be hard to not make a really good run at bringing him back, and I think it would be a difficult decision for him to not come back to L.A. where he'd be a hero if he was able to bring them a world championship. Mm-hmm. If they don't sign him, so if they don't win the World Series and they don't find a way to bring him back, I think Corey Seager's still a shortstop, uh, at least for the, the near term. And one of the things they're looking at is he's, they expect him to improve as a shortstop with these surgeries. He was pretty diminished as a thrower before this Tommy John surgery. And so they're hoping that getting that cleaned up will improve what he can do at short. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of look at it. We were throwing around some different ideas of uh, you know what the Dodgers could do in terms of you know because you have Turner at third, you'd have Seager at yeah. short. Yeah, you, you know, what do you do with Machado? Do you move Bellinger? What do you think it would be if you did have Seager and Machado? You keep Turner. You still have Bellinger uh, and, and Muncy and guys like that. What is the best defensive alignment in your mind for the team next year if the Dodgers were able to to bring back Machado? Well, I think the good thing is that there's so many guys on the roster that are so flexible. The biggest, most important piece of that is that I think Cody Bellinger probably long-term is a center fielder. So that frees you up to do some things. If you wanted to pull the trigger on that right away, you put Bellinger in center. Um, maybe you, you you spend some time with Justin Turner at first, and you, know, you slide Seager to third and Machado at short if it takes that to sign him. I don't know. I just think that they have enough flexibility with the current pieces where they could make it work. And two, you never see Dave Roberts run the same group out there back-to-back days even. So, you know, I think they'd find a way to to put the pieces together, and it probably wouldn't look the same every day. Uh, Kenley Jensen – oh, go ahead, Dallas. Well, I was going to say, isn't isn't that part of of the the – part of doing the due diligence at this point, Joe, is, is figuring out whether or not you have somebody in Manny Machado that you could that you could please enough and keep yeah. it shortstop and figuring out whether or not you have somebody in Corey Seager that's willing to accept a move off of a position that saw him win Rookie of the Year? Yeah, for sure. I think that's a great point. I mean, you look at the two-month rental as an opportunity to try and show Manny Machado that that L.A. may be a place where he wants to be long-term, maybe give you an advantage you wouldn't have had if you hadn't had these two months with him. But you're right, it works both ways. You're going to get two months of learning more about the individual and whether or not he could fit in. Do you think that uh, there's an extra incentive to uh, bring Machado back, not just because of the impact that he makes in 2018, um, but A, because of the prospect hall that the Dodgers had to part with, and B, because of uh, an insurance policy, so to speak, because we're, we're sort of just assuming that Seager's coming back, he'll be ready for spring training, ready to go next yeah. year, but not so much the Tommy John, more so the hip injury. Is there any sort of concern with 
how that injury could play out uh, long term? You know, with position players, it tends to have a pretty darn good success rate. And that that would be an expensive insurance policy. If that's why you were bringing Machado, you know, spending a few hundred million just because you're unsure about Seager's health. <laughs> and you know, I I, I don't know. I, I don't know if that. Joe would Jared's be got money growing on fucking me. trees, apparently. <laughs> Send something this way, man. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. Like, obviously, you're going to bring back a, a guy that can play shortstop. I mean, he's the. <laughs> Best shortstop on the free agent market. Uh, but I was going to ask you before about Kenley Jansen, because that was a topic of yeah. discussion um, that we were having in April and May and in sort of uh, you know the struggles that he was having. Have, what type of changes have you seen with him over the course of the season to where he's sort of been able to rectify that situation? You know what, Dallas, you saw last night too. Last night was as good as I've seen him look, I think. Uh He's, he's gotten more effective, clearly, as the season has gone on after that really bad April uh, yep. where the velocity was down and um, he, he just wasn't the same after a slow ramp-up during spring training. So he was bad in April. Wasn't really the same even in May and into June as he was putting up the numbers that got him into the All-Star game. And up until recently, I wouldn't say that he's been consistently close to what we think of when you think of Kenley Jansen, the strikeout numbers are way down. The walk numbers are way up. That said, he's finding a way to get the job done. 30-second save tied for the National League lead last night. And last night finally looked like the Kenley Jansen where when he comes in, you're pretty sure the game's over. Well, he's And, and just watching him last night <clears throat> and over the course of the season, He's he started to do he started to do some things in his delivery. He started to manipulate his delivery a little. Um very similar mechanically as Clayton Kershaw, if you believe it or not. And then there's a point in time where he just sort of shuts that whole wind up all the way down and goes, I don't want to say it's a quick pitch, but he goes with more of a, a riding yeah. out delivery as opposed to that up, down, and then out delivery. So he started to evolve as well. And to, to your point, Joe, last night, it was, it was the, 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 the cutter was, the cutter was lively. It, it was moving laterally. He was able to expand up in the strike zone. Um, he did. He, he, he looked good. Yeah, I agree with you, and they need that. I mean, with the uncertainty outside of the ninth inning, the relative uncertainty, and that's another spot where they're continuing to get outs and the bullpen's putting up pretty good numbers as a group, but they don't have the Brandon Moore over last year. They don't have Joe Blanton from the year before where you have a sure thing to get it to Kenley Jansen. Right. Pretty matchup-based to get it from the starter to Kenley Jansen. So to have the security of – Knowing what you're going to get in the ninth inning, the psychological impact. Uh, you know, you guys know coming to the park each day with a closer, where you know if you get the lead into the ninth inning, you especially know right now, Dallas in, in Oakland with what Trinan's doing. Having that oh. psychologically, oh my gosh, that's a huge thing. Uh, I remember, you know, back in like the first week of June, the Dodgers were still under 500. And Dave Roberts made had some sort of quote where he said, you know, you're going to look up at the end of the year and we're going to be in first place. What was your confidence level in that statement actually being true? Because I was watching, you know, Dodger baseball being like this team. I, I don't know what their identity is. There's some some injury concerns here. We didn't know if Machado was going to end up there. It made a lot of sense. I mean, the second that we found out about the Seager injury, I was like, 
why isn't Machado already here? Like, get this guy here now, especially because the team needed it. Uh, what was your confidence level in the Dodgers when they were still under 500 in June being able to turn it around? Yeah, I don't. I, I remember the quote. I don't remember the exact date of it. I can tell you, like, mid-May when they were 10 below after losing four in a row in Cincinnati and then the first two in Miami. And this is before Cincinnati became really competitive. It was kind of at the start of their 500 run. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have said you're crazy if you told me that they would be where they are right now, but I wouldn't have been confident that they would get to this point. And Dave Roberts, that's just who he is. You know, he oozes confidence and oozes energy. And you know, there have been several articles written about how big of a deal that is in this turnaround, just having that that kind of leader in that clubhouse where things go awry uh, to be able to have the, the steady hand to, you know, not, not get too high, not get too low. And mm-hmm. he practiced the same thing last year when they were losing 16 in a row or whatever it was after they had had that historic start. So uh, I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have been real confident. I wouldn't have put money in on it, uh, but I'm not shocked that they've been able to do it. One, because of Dave Roberts, mm-hmm. and two, just because the roster is as deep as it is, and there were so many guys that you knew uh, we're going to find a way to turn it around. You didn't know that was going to be Matt Kemp and, and Max Muncy for a good <laughs> chunk of the year, yeah. but you figured yeah. they'd figure it out to some degree. Right. Yeah. Dallas and I were having a conversation earlier about uh, the National League MVP candidates and how – it's really hard to call that right now. Not to, not predicting the end of the year. It's sort of a if the season ended today type deal. Uh, and then you sort of look at you know how tightly packed together all these teams are in the National League. You know you've got uh, you know obviously the Cubs, the Phillies, Brewers, Braves. Which one of those teams at the top of the National League poses uh, the biggest threat in your opinion to the Dodgers in a postseason series? I don't know. Nobody's great, right? It's like. I don't even know who's going to be in the postseason at this point. I I think the Cubs are going to. I don't know in the East. I still think Washington can make a run, but it scares me for them that there's two teams ahead of them. Uh, We haven't seen Arizona and Colorado in months, believe it or not, even though they're in the same division. I don't really know. For me, that's an exciting thing. We're going to find out so much over the final month and a half. I mean, I don't know. What do you What do you guys think? Do you feel strongly yeah, well, about anybody well, at this uh, point? Phillies, Phillies. I'm kind of. I'm kind of. Well, I'm. I'm with you, Joe. On the uh, Jared, <clears throat> he keeps trying to hold on to my fingernail at this point, but I'm trying to let go of the son of a bitch. I'm on the Nationals train here. I I, I have said right. that the Nats were going to be able to turn it around after the All-Star break, that Bryce Harper was going to put them on their back, and they were going to go. Uh, I, I don't know how much truth or validity there is to that. I'm riding the Bryce Harper train right now in hopes that he is able to actually make me look like some sort of a genius. Um, but the, the the West, your guys' division right now, that is that is one of the – that is one of the, I don't know if it's the most exciting, but that is one of the races to pay attention to just because it is, I mean, in my opinion, the San Francisco Giants at this point, they're, what are they, six out, I think, something like that. They're, yeah. they're still somebody that I don't know that you can just completely write off just because mm-hmm. nobody has created the separation that would lend you to say, nope, it's, it's the Dodgers division or it's the D-backs division. That, like you said, hasn't necessarily happened. Yeah, and three big games, I guess, in that regard, Monday through Wednesday next week, the Giants go to Dodger Stadium, where if you know, the Dodgers happen to sweep that series, you can probably 
put a nail in their coffin at that point. Yes. Uh, but but if the Giants sweep the series or even take two of three, you're looking at a different story. You think you're looking at a legit four-team race, which is crazy. Yeah, ludicrous. The AL, the AL, a little different. The AL East, obviously, Boston has got the uh, has got the East wrapped up. It looks like the Yankees are are trying to figure out which end is up right now. The Cleveland Indians are are the toast of the Central Division, and then you know the division that the Oakland A's find themselves yeah. in, the AL West. That is obviously extremely competitive. That's going to be a nice three horse race as well. So uh, the postseason. Though we don't know how it looks right now, is shaping up to be an exciting one as we get there. No question. I was in uh, I was in Boston. I was in Jared's this weekend for Yankees Red Sox Saturday. Are you guys concerned yet? Not concerned may not be the word. If you were a Yankees fan, would you start to glance over your shoulder at all? Like, oh my God, could we miss the postseason entirely? <laughs> I've I've kind of yeah. I've kind of felt that. I mean, they're, they're struggling to beat the White Sox that. now. Yeah, I don't think I don't think that they will. I I think the A's have a legitimate chance to overtake them if if the Yankees mm-hmm. sort of keep playing this level of baseball that they have been with Aaron Judge. I think they're they're several games under five hundred without Aaron Judge, which I didn't expect. Yeah. I didn't expect them to be the same team. I didn't expect them to be a, a you know a, a below five hundred team without oh, Aaron yeah. Judge. Um, so if they're not careful, yeah, I, I think that the A's could overtake them, but I don't think that there's a team that's going to overtake them for a wild card spot because after that it's Seattle, and I don't really right. have a ton of confidence. I don't have the same confidence that I had in Seattle maybe a month or two ago. Yeah, yeah, Seattle, Seattle, the, 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 the crazy. Yeah, the, the, and and the one thing with Seattle, the tough part, the tough pill to swallow with Seattle is as they're starting to to look for guys to really lean on down this stretch here, they've got a big, big question to answer in Felix Hernandez and and whether or not he's somebody that they're going to have to make a decision on. He's just not pitching well enough right now to continue to get them into the postseason, and should they find themselves there, what would you do with Felix? That's an even bigger yeah. question right now for the Seattle Mariners. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I'm just trying to stir it up. Listen to me trying to get the game out of the postseason. <laughs> Joe, the last question that we asked to all of our guests is, if you could go back in time to any moment in baseball history and watch it live in person, what would it be? Hmm, my goodness. The thing, anytime I, I think of biggest thing in baseball history, uh, I think Jackie Robinson. So maybe to go back and watch Jackie Robinson's debut. That That's our most popular yep. answer. Uh, yes. Yeah, this is episode 54. I want to say we've gotten we've gotten the Jackie answer mm, probably five, five different guests. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely a good one. Uh, and someday, someday I, I want to actually do like a Jackie Robinson episode. Cause I know like we do like a, yeah. uh, we've done in the off season when we literally, we had, we rode the struggle bus pretty hard during this past off season where there wasn't much to talk about. I'd like to go, I mean, <laughs> we want to do a Tony Gwynn episode. We want to do a oh, Jackie yeah. Robinson episode. So maybe we'll have you back for the Jackie Robinson episode that we're going to do. Love it. Love it. Anytime, guys. That'd be great. So Joe Davis, you can follow him on Twitter at Joe underscore Davis. Check him out on the Dodgers television broadcast. Thank you so much for joining us here today. All right, guys. Good to talk to you. All right. So big thanks to Joe Davis for coming on with us here today. Uh, 
I mean, right now, the Dodgers are a big story. Uh, the Nationals are a story, but not for the reason that you probably would have expected them to be at the start of the season. We mentioned it earlier in the show. Bryce Harper uh, since the All-Star break. And I guess, can we finally fucking put to bed that dumbass narrative about the All-Star game ruining a player's swing? Like, it's just fake. The Derby. I mean, yeah, the, the home run derby. Yes, please. Yeah. Can we just stop with that? Like, that is not a real thing. Looks like it's affecting Reese Hoskins, too. Yeah, yeah. Reese, <laughs> yeah, Reese Hoskins has had a real tough time Fuck. since the All-Star break. Uh, and it's basically, you're, what you're looking at here, 17 games, 71 plate appearances, He's hitting 345 with an 1106 OPS. This is Bryce Harper we're talking about. Six doubles, four homers. He's driven in 16 runs in those 16 starts. Uh, he's scored 14 runs. Um, this is a guy that I think I think it's fair to say maybe got caught up in the in the free agency hype. It could be basically because it's not just when you talk about a player who gets impacted by free agency. A lot of these guys don't really think about that until their free agent year. We have been talking about Bryce Harper's free agency since the motherfucker was 16 years old. Like, that's that's just yeah. a fact. We were talking about it when he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. We were talking about it when he was featured on, on all kinds of these documentaries going back to Las Vegas. And, uh, and then he gets drafted first round, first overall. And then he gets into the big leagues. And he's he is... I don't want to say he's everything that we thought he would be because I think it's extremely hard to fall short. It's extremely hard to either meet or exceed expectations when you're being branded as the LeBron James of, of Major League Baseball. He has fallen short of that. However, he is a superstar. He is a, an above-average baseball player, and he will be a free agent at the end of this year. And regardless of how well he performs or doesn't perform overall this season, his free agency is going to be a huge deal. It's going to be the talk of the offseason where he's going to go. Um, but it was going to be a, a just a different feel to it if he sort of went into this offseason hitting 214 and and sort of scuffling into into the wintertime. But you look at what he's done since that home run derby that he won, put on a show for the hometown fans in D.C., and he's, he's fucking lighting it up. But, you know, you look at the, the Nationals' record in those games, 10-7. and seven, So it's, you know, three games over 500. But it's not what you would expect it to be when we sort of talked about, oh, Bryce Harper is heating up. Does that mean that the Nationals are going to heat up? And one player on a baseball team can only do so much. And I always go back to that 2003 season that A-Rod had with the Rangers where he was – that was one of the most impressive – single player performances that I've ever seen. Uh, and he did that for a last place Texas Rangers team. So the, the Nationals are going to need more than Bryce Harper doing what he's been doing for the rest of the season for them to actually uh, uh, get back into this. But it is a great sign that Bryce is being Bryce since the home run derby. Well, that was that was kind of, I'm not going to say I expected this, but I will say I anticipated this. I will say I called this because I did. I told you that this home run derby was going to be exactly what Bryce Harper needed to get himself back on track. The lights, the glory that came with it, the energy, it, it, it was palpable. We could feel it when we were there, Jared. And I knew 
that this would be something that this dude would feed off of. I fucking knew it. Because he felt it. He's like, fuck, this is, that's right. This is what I've been missing. This is what it feels like to be me and to be awesome and be me. Because I've been me, and that's awesome. I've been me and been awesome, and that's super fucking awesome. And that's what's happening right now. He understands, and I feel like he's thinking, we still have a shot. And that shot only exists if I'm doing Bryce Harper-type shit. So let me quit fucking around here. Let me get back to doing Bryce Harper-type shit, and let me see where my ball club is. Because there's really no other hope to have other than that happening. And it's happening. Can I drop it's some? Happening. Can I drop some stat nuggets on your bitch? I asses? would love to fucking have some <clears throat> stat nuggets on my bitch ass. So one of the things that I think is obvious about Bryce Harper when he's going well is that he's taking the ball to the opposite field with a lot of power, and that's exactly what's yep. happening in the second half. In the first yep. half against pitches on the outer half, he hit 186 with a 387 slugging percentage. In the admittedly very small sample of the second half in at-bats ending with a pitch on the outer half, he's hitting 316, so that's uh, 130 points difference, with a 684 slugging, which is 300 points higher. And the reason why I think this is not uh, a lot of bullshit is because he's actually taking the ball to the opposite field more when it's thrown on the outer half. 28% of his batted balls... Uh, against pitches on the outer half were hit to the opposite field in the first half. That's up to just under 41% uh, so far in the second half. So it sounds cliche, but what those numbers say to me at least is that he's like he is going with the baseball, um, and he has well, enough power well, where well, he can do that and hit balls fucking out. Yeah, and those are, those are the adjustments that you make as, as a hitter. You start to let that ball travel a little bit. You let the ball get a little deeper. You use the entire field because you're trying to get out of habits at the moment that aren't allowing you to, maybe it's aren't allowing you to release the bat head. You know, it's a matter of staying behind the base, but there's a lot of different things. So when you start to see guys use the entire field, go the other way, spray the baseball, as they say, th- those are those are indicators of guys climbing out of their funk. And that's exactly what you're talking about, J.A. Yeah, that's, uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm rooting for the story because I want him to sort of go into free agent. I, 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 if, if it's not Bryce Harper in terms of like this mega deal, uh, the, sort of like the A-Rod Texas Rangers contract of this generation, who would it be? I mean, like when, who would be that guy? We're not going to see that for like Soto. Like who's, who's going to do that? Who's going to be a superstar talent that hits free agency that young? Uh, well, what's his, so how old is he right now? 20, what, four? He is at his age 25 season. 20, 25. Yeah, he's, so he'll turn 26 in October. Yeah, so he, 20, and, and what, and, and Trout? Trout's 26, he just turned 27 yeah. yesterday. Yeah. And he's still got a few uh, years until free agency. Few years until free Because he signed that deal okay. uh, that takes him through yeah, 2024. Seven-year, 144, or whatever it was. Yeah, six, 145, I think it was. Uh, I shouldn't say I think, I'm looking right at it. Um, <laughs> but, I mean... I, I know it sounds silly to say at the time, but a big part of the appeal at the time of the Jason Hayward free agency was how fucking young he was mm-hmm. when he was a free agent. Uh, and people thought he was an impact player. Like he, I know he's not viewed in the same terms if, as Bryce Harper, but in terms of like on-field production to that point in his career, 
I think you can easily make the case that at the time of his free agency, Jason Hayward had produced more quantity than Bryce Harper has. Wait, what? Yes. Really? Yes. By what metric? Um, I mean, this is heavily reliant on defense. Yes, which is but, what... This, so but I don't the, think anybody's disputing Jason Hayward's defense. No, right? no, yeah, not yeah, at all. Yeah. Not at all. So when Jason Hayward was a free agent, this was post-PED testing, cracking down big time, and pre-juiced baseballs, launch angle, exit velocity, all that shit. So we yeah. were in a in a time period, an in-between stage, where baseball executives were looking at players being like, well... We're not going to see a ton of 40 home run, 130 RBI guys anymore. So we have to find a new area to sort of value as like this is a $20 million player. So they go from run scoring or offensive production to, uh, you know, the um, run prevention. prevention. Yeah, run. Yeah. Run prevention, which is essentially in their eyes, taking a run off the board is just as good as putting a run on the board. So that's sort of where the Jason Hayward uh, huge contract came from, was we're just going to put a huge emphasis on run prevention, and it hasn't exactly stood the test of time. No. And I don't want to get, I don't want this to become a, a condemnation of the Jason Hayward contract. No. I, just, I, I do think that, like, that's the last guy I can think of who reached I mean, you have to get to the big leagues at 19 or 20 to be this young when you're a free agent, obviously. Uh, so, yeah, maybe we'll be talking about Juan Soto in six years. Yeah, I feel like that's that's probably or, or Glaber. Yeah, so it's those two guys. Um, I mean, Harper kind of ties into this next topic, though, right? Yeah, sure. I mean, it could yeah. be a late run. Could be a late run. I would say I don't think he's going to win, even if he does go on a late run in the Nationals, make the postseason, maybe. But. Right now, the National League MVP conversation is a wide-open field. It is a wide-open field. I know that we've sort of talked about Freddie Freeman a lot. Um, Still belongs in the conversation, no doubt about it. Uh, But other players have have emerged big time in this conversation. Uh, Javier Baez is one guy. Nolan Arenado, another guy. Trevor Story. I mean, this guy has been uh, a pleasure to watch. You get the Milwaukee Brewers. You can basically pick a guy from any team. Lorenzo Cain, Christian Yelich from the Brewers should definitely be in the conversation. Uh, Matt Carpenter is having a fucking outstanding season for a very mediocre Cardinals team. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt, who we spent a lot of time talking about as someone that was struggling mightily, has turned it back on. And as he turned it back on, so too did the Diamondbacks. So he belongs in the conversation. Uh, Shout out to Nick Markakis for having his age 34 season a career year. He's been outstanding. Um, you know, it, there's there are a lot of guys this season who at least have a, a name in the hat. Uh, I haven't even mentioned Suarez from the Reds because if Joey Votto can get in the conversation last year with the Reds, then Suarez, oh, yes, deserves uh, at least a mention in this conversation with uh, you know with the wide open field. Is it even fair to sort of ask the both of you if the season ended today who you got? It's uh, I, I don't life's not really about what's fair. Is. No, life is not what about yeah. what's fair. Yeah, and, and if you're, uh, I, I guess, oh man, can I just go yelling because he's in position right now to win a batting title? 
I mean, sure. I, you can. I feel like that's an old school method of thinking, though. It is, but it's because I've been clamoring. I've, I've, I've been saying that this guy's going to win a fucking batting title for like three years. You really four years, And I'm not saying. I will back I'm you up on that. You have said that. I'm not saying it's time for him to do it already, goddammit. Because uh, it's not like, you know, it's not like it's either win this batting title or you're probably not who we think you are. That's not what, that's not what we're getting at. Uh, this is just me purely being selfish. That's it. Because I've really liked Christian Yelich since the day he showed up in the big leagues. I've just been a fan of his. And I would like to see, I would like to see that happen. That's all. Are you against really pitchers like winning the MVP award? Because I would like to put Aaron Nola's name in the hat. Um, it, I, I'm not, but I mean... You have me, to ha- be having a historical season, which he's not. He's having exactly. a very good season. His, historical. On, on more than one front. Yeah. Like, he, absolutely. Like, the dominance factor. Like, I'm talking no traffic. I'm talking punching an entire family tree's worth of people out per nine. I, I, I'm, I'm talking... A full body, yeah. Like I, I, I need it to be. I, I need to want to touch myself to the back of a card before you're an MVP. I, that, I'm and, as clear as day on what your standards are. Yeah, that is. <laughs> uh, that's quite the standard there. I, uh, it is. So when I when I sort of go over the yeah. MVP candidates, I look at a bunch of different things, and I know that the past two, call it three years. Whoever's been leading the league in wins of a replacement has just won. Like it's it's become the award. <laughs> Shout out to, oh, to Jay Hay. You no, that's a Jay Hay. Yeah, that's that's a Jay Hay. Sounds thing. like a me. Um, but I, I I think it's still TBD. There's no there's no runaway train in the National League either, which sort of makes it difficult. If there was a team that was head and shoulders above everyone else in, in the National League, I think it right, would, someone carrying their squad too. Yeah, no one is really doing that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm tempted to say Javi Baez. I'm tempted to say Javi Baez, uh, but because I'm tempted to say it, that means that there is no slam dunk candidate. They're just not. And it, I, in, in fairness, I think like Matt Carpenter, if the season ended today, should probably go on to win the award. Um, but how out of all the teams that are either in a playoff spot or fighting for one, I have a hard time giving it to him too. So I... To, to Matt Carpenter? Yeah. I mean, come on. 30 bombs, 74 stakes... To, I mean, uh, I don't. It's, uh. it's, it's because look, because Arenado looks like a, a viable option right behind him. Yeah, he's. She. I mean, like that's a guy that uh, I would give an edge to, especially. Uh, I would love to see. I, I wouldn't mind Javi Baez winning it, and I wouldn't mind Javi Baez winning it because I think it would then just give a lot of value back to uh, being a well-rounded baseball player. And what I mean is not necessarily a natural home position. You know what I mean? Like sure. he, he, he plays a lot in one spot, but you can put him anywhere. You can put him anywhere and he'd be at home. And I think that's another step back to creating well-rounded baseball players. You know what? Guys that, you know what? what? If the season ended today, I'm giving it to Nolan Arenado. I am. I am. Because if you want to mention the homers, he's one behind. Uh, he's driven in more runs. The OPS is sort of a wash. The defensive ability, uh, edge to Arenado, more hits. 
uh, semi-tighten doubles. Um, yeah, he, strike, he strikes out far less times. Better batting average, similar on base percentage, similar slugging percentage. Yeah, I'm, I'm going Arenado. Over Matt Carpenter. Correct. Um, yeah, I can't, can't, like you said, you can't argue with these right now. You just, you just, I mean, tight. yeah, like, like Locaine, Yelly, Freddie, there's, there's a slight power drop off there. After that, you know, it's, it's really, it's pick your poison because you're sacrificing power production for average and, and it just, yeah, it's, it's just a, uh, it really is just a matter of like, what's your favorite flavor at the moment? So, so I'm not even here to pick one. I just think it's a fascinating conversation. The two most fascinating of the group, I think, are by far Matt Carpenter and Javier Baez uh, for totally different reasons. I, I think Javi Baez is absolutely fascinating to me, A, because it seems to me that what he's doing right now is sort of like the what we all viewed as the perfect vision of what Javi Baez could become right like it sort of just yes. it sort of just happened not overnight but I don't think anybody saw last year being a year that would lead to this no um and and, and if you look at the numbers like if you think oh if somebody told you Javier Baez took a massive step forward from 2017 to 2018 I think your assumption at least mine would be oh okay he's probably striking out less and he's probably doing that in large part because he's not swinging at pitches out of the zone as often, right? Because that's what that was his approach. I would have said more doubles. Right. I would not have told you. I would not have guessed an OPS north of 900 for Javi Baez. No, and and here's the thing. What I just cited, that's not happening. Like his strikeout rate really isn't down that much and his chase percentage, the rate at which he's swinging at pitches out of the zone is actually fucking up from oh. last year and the year before. <laughs> What so he's in some ways he's almost leaning into the Javier Baez approach. What he is doing differently are two things. He's taking far fewer called strikes. Okay, so when the ball is in the zone, he's more aggressive. Correct. He is pouncing, and that is backed up by the stats as well. His swing rate against pitches in the zone last three years: sixty-eight percent, seventy-three percent, seventy-nine percent this year. His batting average against pitches in the zone. 313, 348, 372, and I won't bother with more numbers, but if you look at his slugging percentage, it's showing the exact same trend. Yeah. It's actually, for for a guy, I mean, everything that you just said sort of checks out because he's walked 17 times all year. He has a 922 OPS, but his on-base percentage is only 333. <laughs> like, how is that possible? Well, and, and the, the, the BABIP, 346. Right, which is shockingly in line with his previous seasons. Like, it, I mean, yeah, it's it's just crazy. Like, you go to all the things that you would think would be fueling this season: batting average and batting uh, balls in play, inflation, strikeouts redu- reduced, chases reduced, and it's it's not fucking there. Like, he's just Javier Baez, just fucking better. He's yeah, just a better and, version and, of what he already again, was. He's already again, set a career high. Like, like think about, think, yeah, think, think about Manny Machado. Like I, I got to play shortstop. I got to play shortstop. I've got to play. And Javi is like, fuck it. Where, where on the field today? Sounds good. I'm your dude. That like that. There's just not enough given to like. You got to give that respect. You have to give that respect because he's showing up, willing to do any man's job 
which means he's taken that to be his job, and he is rounding that job out very nicely. Like he, he's making it, you know, he's. Uh, I, I think about an impact that Ben Zobrist has probably had on a guy like Javi Baez, showing him how valuable you can be by just showing up every day and being serviceable and taking the same approach at the plate and 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 sharpening excuse me sharpening it and becoming consistent with it you're starting to see some growth man yeah it's uh it's it's more than it's more than just growth like looking at it right now he ha- across the board is having a career year like he's already set new career highs in essentially everything he has everything. more doubles he has more triples and it's by it's by significant margins and we're in the first well now second week of August uh, he his career high in doubles before was 24 now he has 31 this year he's had previously two triples now he's got seven uh, home runs last year hit 23 he's got 25 this year he's leading the league in RBIs with 88 last year 75 uh, stolen bases yeah. he's got 19 well, stole 12 in 2016 go, go back go back to and if you go back to 2016 Caravas that kind of gives you a, a really good idea of where he's at to date compared to a body of work or so. 450 plate appearances in 2016. He's at 442 today Yeah. on Wednesday, yeah. August, whatever the fuck. Right. And as you said, he's got 25 jacks. In 2016, he had 14. Mm-hmm. 31 doubles. 2016, he had 19. I mean, every bit of he was hitting two seventy. He hit two seventy three in twenty sixteen. He's hitting a cool three bills as we speak right now, slugging over a hundred points higher than he did in twenty sixteen in this virtual same body of work here. Eight less plate appearances to date. That's that's growth. You're fucking absolutely right. This is more than growth. <laughs> it's a uh, yeah, it's spreading like wildfire. Yeah, and he's leading the league in total basis. No big deal. So I, I, I think it's. It. I, I feel like it could it could come down to those two guys, Baez, Arenado, uh, and Freeman, who cannot forget Freddie Freeman in the season that he's been right. having this year. Uh, BetDSI has been in business for over twenty years, paying winners A plus rated on sportsbook review sites. Use your sports knowledge to make some extra cash. Easy to use mobile playing interface, play, win, get paid. BetDSI offers odds on everything, including live betting and props as games are in action. BetDSI offers odds on essentially everything, including all major sports, politics, reality, TV. Use promo code RUN25 and get a $25 free wager just for registering. If you decide to deposit, you will get a 200% bonus match on your money. Once again, go to BetDSI.com and use the promo code RUN25 and get a free $25 wager on the house and 200% extra bonus when you deposit. That is RUN25 to get your free wager and start winning today. You, Strumpery, good effort today. Take a lap and hit the showers. I'm putting in a right-handed batter to hit for you. What? You're pitch hitting for me? Yes. You see, you're a left-hander and so is the pitcher. If I send up a right-handed batter, it's called playing the percentages. It's what smart managers do to win ball games. But I've got nine home runs today. You should be very proud of yourself. Sit down, Simpson. You're batting for strawberry. I am? Woohoo! Hello, boy, Homer. You can do it. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
on Twitter this week. Uh, we solicited ho- Homer Minute voicemails from the listeners, okay? You guys have heard us rant about the Athletics, the Red Sox, and the Indians for, I think, about a month now. Uh, so we thought we'd open it up to uh, the people. The people. The grounds crew. The grounds crew. Our L- people. L- lucky, lucky grounds crew, you get to hear about three playoff teams, huh? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, that, that has been good that all three of those teams are, are relevant. Um, we are going to start with some voicemails. Wow. Thanks to everybody who sent them in. We got a lot of, uh, lot of submissions, so if yours is not yes, being played. Appreciated. Yeah, try uh, call in again. Uh, some of them were too long. There was an individual who left a two-minute and 40-second uh, two voicemail. Um, that's, n- that's not even close to the rules. Like, that's <laughs> not me cutting it off at 60. I'm not bothering with that. Yeah. Um, who was that? Do you have a Twitter handle? Do you have a Twitter hand available? Because no, because they just call in. I've got their right phone number, hand, uh, which I'm not going to send the, out. Um, the game polices itself. We need the grounds crew to be able to contact this individual and let them know. You're going to get somebody squared the fuck up two hours and 46. You ought to be goddamn ashamed of yourself. Yeah, that was just a little bit long for the Homer minute. Tighten it up. Minute. Okay, here we go. What's going on, guys? This is Thomas. Uh, Oakland A's fan here, and uh, just want to talk about that Fires edition. Uh, I think it's a really good one for the rotation, and uh, if this A's team is really legit, I'll maybe making a, a push to potentially beat what could be a Yankees team in the wild card game, um, although obviously Fires going to be pitching that. I think I think this team is really shaping up, and the chemistry of this team, there's something about it. It's clicking all at the right time. And I think they could be going places. If not this year, they're really set up um, down the stretch for a couple good years, especially with guys like that. All right, thank you. So we get rid of the Homer minute uh, for to talk about the A's with Dallas to immediately talking about the A's with somebody else. Well, so Dallas, you have brainwashed our audience. So thank you for that. <laughs> I, I will say, without a without a doubt, we received more A's submissions than any other team. So like I'm always Beautiful. reluctant like when 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 starting nine the Twitter account tweets like hey uh, we're looking for questions or we're looking for voicemails I never retweet it because I don't want to flood it with Red Sox fans uh, Dallas is just like retweet 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 please send in all your A's fucking propaganda <laughs> yeah hey you know what here's the deal here's the deal I- I've got to drum up support out here on the fucking West Coast I got boots on the ground solo out here Caravis all right I didn't have daddy build a fucking sports empire around the success of a couple sports teams out here. Big coattail rider, all right? I'm a trying couple, to I mean, it's all four. flag in the ground early out here. This company early. was built on five Super Bowls, a Stanley Cup, an NBA title, and three World Series titles. No that's, what, that's what I mean. You're riding the coattails of sports teams, yeah. and I'm just trying to drum up support for our fan base out here. That's all. That's Ca- all. Counterintuitive, work. Counterintuitively, don't cover those teams uh, too perfectly or too uh thoroughly because then you might get in trouble it's all very confusing right um (laughs) all right our next one so espn releases their top 10 power rankings and the philadelphia phillies aren't even on it not that anyone gives a shit about power rankings or espn for that matter but let's take a look at the phillies this season you got jake arietta and aaron nola out here looking like certified Duds making the Red Sox lineup look like the Saugus fucking rocket could bad cleanup for them. Tell me who will want to face that rotation in October. You got Mike Calfranco and Reese Hoskins dropping their thongs all over the foreheads of opposing pitchers. The Phillies 
have the best home record in all the National League. They're the youngest team in all of baseball, and you got the world's sexiest first-year manager jacking off on the beach with coconut oil. What more could you ask for? Go, Phil. Fuck you, ESPN. Suck a bird. That's great. Like that's that's what, what the Homer Minute's all about, right there. That is exactly what the fucking Homer Minute <laughs> yeah. is all about. That is the leader in the clubhouse yeah. thus far. That is fucking Philly fucking <laughs> juice right there. I love it. I love it. I did enjoy that one. That uh, here's another one. Okay, folks. Here's the deal. This may come to some of you as a little biased, but the Boston Red Sox have absolutely just lit a fire that cannot be stopped. With a 10th inning walk-off last night, we sent that pile of rubble back to New York in pieces. Oh, four runs will do the trick? No. This team did what it does best, buckled the fuck down, and got to work. And that's what they did these past four games, and have consistently done this entire season. To anyone who thought that the Boston Red Sox aren't something special, you are sadly mistaken, because this team is good. With a number of guys on the DL, who knew what to expect this week? Mookie, at second, why the fuck? Nah, because they know that the rest of the squad can keep earned runs to a minimum and put some runs on the table. Everyone in that clubhouse is picking each other up, and that's why we're the best fucking team in baseball right now. I mean, I spot the lie. Where was the lie? I don't don't want to hear your fucking smug ass over the phone, hear you fucking quietly moan in agreement. You fucking guy. I can fucking hear you just orgasming in your own mouth right now. Mookie is second. Why fucking not? And here's Karabas just starting to skin fire over there on the other end of the phone. You know what I loved about that one? That was Jared with a fucking voice changer. That's all that was. <laughs> you know what I loved about that one? And I respect the shit out of it. He wrote though, it out. Yes, it. even though it sounds like I'm going to yeah. make fun of him. He wrote that out. Yeah, he sure For did. sure. No, no, and, and that is, you know what? He delivered. Did he not? Absolutely. No, if you're taking the time to write out your Homer Minute and call in, I love you. Yeah. I respect yes. it. Do Thank your, you. Do, do yourself a favor. Do yourself a favor. Don't be the two-minute, 46-second fucking guy. Write it out. Time yourself. Polish it up. Let's fucking go. Yeah, we're not we're not all like the three of us here, where we can just start talking and end it right at the right at the buzzer. Yeah, uh, yeah you need you need at least a month's coach. worth of practice. Except for, that. for Dallas, who routinely goes over sixty seconds. Yeah, I have to just scream in his ear. Yeah. Um, my, my team's great. Though. All right, this is a team where we haven't heard anybody, including famous barstool employees, rant about this team at all this year. So this should be fresh and new and good. Oh uh, yeah, it's Phil here to talk about the Mets, a team that's nineteen games under five hundred. They're a joke this year. The owner said that they wanted to win. They did nothing. They signed seven guys to horrible contracts. Jay Bruce is missing. Todd Frazier's having the worst year of his career. Jason Vargas hasn't gone more than five innings in any of his start. He has an 8.23 RA. The only good thing about this season is Jacob DeGrom having the best season ever, and they can't fucking win for him because the other, the other teammates aren't even playing the same sport as him every five days. <laughs> He can give up 100 runs without recording out, and he will still have a lower ERA than Jason Vargas. I did the math. Mickey Callaway says every press conference, oh, we're going to see what these young guys can do. Look for a 2019. Why the fuck is 36-year-old Jose Reyes playing when he's worth minus, he's worth negative war? Like, why the fuck are you looking at him for? Retire already. He beat his wife. We don't want to give him a proper send-off. The team's a fucking joke. The will punch itself. Demolish the team. All right, that was my homer minute. I'd knock everyone over.
I'm not sure if I went over. He he did go over, but I felt the pain in his voice, yeah. so I let him have those final three seconds. Good for you, Jay. That's what. That's why you're at the tip, man. <laughs> My God, I feel. I want to have. I want to have a fucking like a, a glass of warm milk with this guy. And let him know that it's going to be all right, man. He sounded like he was on beer number eight. And was just like head in hands, like yeah. not crying, but just dejected. On on the verge of tears, for yeah. sure. Um, all right, right now I'm going to call it as a draw between that guy and the Phillies guy. Phillies guy wins. Um, this is a, we'll call this a celebrity call-in. Oh. Or, or friend of the program call-in. Wow. Hi, Sam. It's Jess Kleinschmidt. And oh. you know who I am pumped about right now, and that is the Oakland A's. Yeah. Everything seems to be working for them. I've been excited for a while to see what Matt Chapman can do this season, and he's been beyond sensational. Chris Davis has been annihilating the ball with his bat. Uh, their defense has been strong. That weird reunion with Trevor Cahill and Brett Anderson brings back that old-school element that I have missed. And they're backed up by a very strong bullpen. That's been phenomenal to watch. This team is fun and unstoppable, and I can't wait to see what they do in the playoffs. And I wanted to tell Jared and Dallas, hello, and I love you guys. Bye. She's great. What you missed there at the she end is. was her saying hello to me. I think that probably got cut off. Yeah, that um, might have just <laughs> my phone. Oh, that was that was your own editing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that, that you made your That's what it was. Sorry. It just wasn't a forty second voicemail that didn't include me. It wasn't that. Yeah. Um <laughs> We are doing that again next week. Oh yeah. No, you should do this every week. Yeah. Fuck yeah, and, and you know, I just I, I wanna I, I I sent this tweet out, and our, our our dear good friend Jess, she 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 touched on it. I, I did send this tweet out yesterday. Um, Jared, she touched on the bullpen. Let me leave you with a little little factoid here okay. about the bullpen sure. for the Oakland A's. Yeah. Two guys in particular: one Blake Trinan, one Sweet Lou Trevino. Mm-hmm. Blake Trinan has sixteen. Multi-inning outings. That's 16 outings of four outs or more. 16. Mm -hmm. Lou Trevino has 17 of those same outings. The top five save leaders in baseball have combined for 17 of those such outings. Wow. I mean, isn't that... five save leaders... In baseball, have combined for 17 multi-inning outings. Lou Trevino got 17 of them motherfuckers himself. I don't know if Blake I tout that as a good the thing. The best closer though. in baseball has 16 of them same outings yeah, himself. I, I don't want to talk I, about certified G's and bona fide fucking studs, Carabolas. <laughs> That's your fucking stable of stallions, pal. Yeah, I that just right there. I don't think that that's a good thing though. Like I don't. I wouldn't want my closer doing that all no, the no, time. No, 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 it's 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 about you. You don't have your closer doesn't have the ability to do that. It's well, not yes, he does. You, He's actually the best closer no, in no, baseball. He no, he does not. He, he is. He does not have the ability to do that. Okay, he, he does. He, he, he does. If he had the ability to do that, he'd be sniffing that. 
they'd be relying on him for that. They don't need to rely on him for that. They don't the because they just do. have more wins than every team in baseball. That's not the Oakland We're just talking about closers here. That's all we were talking. Yeah. We're talking about closers. Okay. We're talking about. Ball. I just wanted to yeah. leave you with that nugget. That's yeah. all. Well, I am glad that we got in the uh, little taste of you guys talking past each other that yeah. we feature in at least every podcast and radio hit. That's, you, want, you know my favorite. That's stat a staple of, the week. of our programming. My favorite stat of the week is that the Red Sox have a winning percentage that's north of seven hundred. That's my favorite stat of the week. They uh, they have a seven oh two winning percentage. It's pretty good. It is it is fairly comical. Yeah, it's uh, they're it eight, they're eighty and thirty four. Um, you know what time it is now? There are some people, uh, as we asked for, who yeah. submitted questions the old fashioned way. Yeah, back yes via yeah. Twitter. Via Telegram. Um, the tweet box. So we got three of them, including one that I promised we would get to a couple of weeks ago, and we did not, and it's back. Okay. Uh, first question. Through August 7th, the Red Sox have an almost identical record at this point in the season to the 2017 Dodgers. Jared, we'll, uh, we'll kick this to you. Do you expect the Red Sox to cool off as dramatically as the Dodgers? And perhaps you could add why you don't think that, because I know you don't. I don't think that at all, uh, because they've still maintained a 700 winning percentage with all the injuries. I mean, they're they're now going to get healthy versus uh, they've been healthy to get to this point and now things are going to fall apart because guys are going to start dropping like flies, which, I mean, could in theory still happen. I mean, obviously injuries can happen at any time. There's no safe zone for injuries, but the Red Sox have been able to endure injuries to Xander Bogarts. Mookie Betts has been on the DL. Xander Bogarts has been on the DL uh, with a, I mean, he's currently injured with the hand, but he was on there with the, uh, the foot and ankle. Uh, Chris Sale's on the DL. Uh, Ian Kinsler's on the DL. Dustin Pedroia has been on the DL all year. Rafael Devers has been on there twice. So basically, I mean, Eduardo Rodriguez currently on there. Stephen Wright on there. Uh, BJ's been on there. Basically the entire rotation. Drew Pomeranz, but I wish he would stay on there, uh, has been on the disabled list all year. Uh, so, yeah, I would say I'm not too worried about it because they have endured pretty much everything that a team possibly can endure from an injury standpoint, and they're still playing 700 ball. Uh, Dallas, do you have anything to add, or are you, or are you satisfied with that? I'm, I'm, I'm totally satisfied with that. I agree with all of that. Cool. Um, the question that uh, we didn't get to, can you, add, you can add prime Bobby Abreu or prime Jim Edmonds to your team. Who are you what? choosing? Jimmy. Yeah, I, I stick with uh, Jimmy, Edmonds. Jimmy, I need the defense, He's a winner. baby. He's need a winner. Defense. Not that not that Bobby Abreu is a – I mean, I love – Sounds loved, like you're calling him a loser. I loved Bobby Abreu. I loved <laughs> exactly Bobby Abreu. That's what that sounds like. Uh, but Jim Edmonds has been there and done that. So, um, yeah, I want a guy that can perform on the big stage, and that's Jimmy Edmonds. Jesus. Yeah, and Edmonds, and Edmonds never took me deep. And he also made the second greatest catch in baseball history. What's number one? The Gary Matthews Jr., Oh, okay. All right. Interesting. I think my favorite catch ever is still D. Wayne Wise. Yeah. If, given the context. But that's an, that's another question, perhaps, for another day. During that. Um, so here, I'm going to parse this question, since it's clear that you guys have about half the interest in this that I do. Um, what question? Edmonds Abreu. Oh, okay. You started talking about winners and shit. Well, and, yeah, that's just yeah. a fact. He's been there and he's done that. Um, so I told you that I need Jimmy's gold gloves. Come no, on, you did. I need. All right, so... If the question is you can have one player's best six or seven year stretch, I'm taking Bobby Abreu. If the question is you can pick the best single season or two seasons from one of those players, I'm taking Jim Edmonds because 
I don't think anything Bobby Abreu did can match Jim Edmonds 2004 when he hit 301, 418, 643 with 42 home runs. That's a pretty good year. Yeah. Um, Bobby Abreu, though. That was a hell of a Cardinals team, by the way. Let me give some love to Bobby Abreu. His average season from two th- from nineteen ninety eight to two thousand four. Three oh eight, four sixteen, five twenty five, twenty three homers, twenty nine stolen bases, six war per year. That's just a fucking excellent ball player. Mm-hmm. Props to Bobby <laughs> Abreu. All right. Yeah, I'm still taking Jimmy. Yeah, that's fine. Yes, Sam. Um, that old four Cardinals team was fucking something. No, they won 105 games that year. They had Pujols. They had, what, Tony Womack. They had Larry Walker. Great Cardinals team. This is a good question for this podcast in particular because we have a guy who threw a major league perfect game. Scott Rowland. And we have a guy who threw a youth baseball no-hitter. Right. So this is really yep. fucking right up our alley. It was an all-star Stuff. game. All-star Big game, no-hitter. If you could take one pitch... From four different pitchers, i.e. Syndergaard slider, to build your ultimate pitcher, what would those four pitches be? Do they have to be active Ooh. players? Um, uh, you can yeah. answer this. I, I would say yes, but if you really yeah, feel what passionately. You, what are you, you going to do? You're yeah. going to run out there fucking Koufax's curve? Yeah, I'd rather guy. not get into Randy's slider and shit. Okay. But, All right, yeah. active players then. No Pedro's um, changeup. So I'm going to tell you right now. Give me Blake Trinan sinker. Done. Okay. Give me Sweet Lou Trevino's slider at 95. Done. Give me Max Scherzer's changeup. Going to wipe you out fucking later. And um, that's, that's it. We got sinker. We got changeup. We got slider. What do you want to go? You want to go curveball? I mean, did you have to go Kershaw curveball? I mean, that's a that's a nice pitcher. Uh, give me Chris Sale's slider. Mm-hmm. Uh, damn. Give me, hmm. Give me Craig Kimbrell's fastball. It's got crazy movement. Um, change it. Well, that's cute. That's cute. The movement you think his fastball has compared to Blake Trinan. I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, go watch a Craig Kimbrell fucking highlight reel one time for me, pal. Uh, pitch effectiveness. It's all simple numbers. Bear it up for you. Hmm. Let's see who's. Who's who's curveball? What I want? I mean, obviously you'd want Kershaw's curveball. Who's two seamer? Do I want? Who's got the? Give me like I, I want something. I, I already did. I, I I took that one. I, I took it. It's Blake Trinan. Give me, damn. I mean, I honestly maybe uh, maybe Nola's curveball because his is more like a slider. It's it's kind of like uh, yeah, it, his curveball looks like a slider. So I'll actually take Aaron Nola's curveball. So if you're going to go that route, then maybe Adam Ottavino is the guy that you should think about, too, because that thing's fucking nasty. Trevor Bauer, the Ottavino hybrid. Yeah, I'm, I'm taking Nola's curveball that looks like a slider and also having Chris Sale's slider. I mean, that's borderline unhittable. Those are good answers. Those are good answers. Jay, what do you got? Oh, what do I have? What do I have? I am going to go with Justin Verlander's fastball. Okay. Chris Sale's slider. Okay. Yep. Corey Kluber's little whoop cutter. <laughs> and uh, I like, uh, this is not one that I had written down. Those are the three that I had written down. But I do think I want a, a ball that can induce some some grounders. So I am going to take Trinan's little two-seamer. Because that'll, that'll go real well with Verlander's four-seamer up in the zone. Mm-hmm. Oh, So you went, you went two heaters, huh? Two heaters and two, uh, yeah, basically. 
And I mean, yeah. depending on what you want to classify Corey Kluber's cutter as, um, yeah, you're just you're 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 a power guy. You know, yeah. for, for me, you guys are you're just very one dimensional. You're a power guy. Just spit on one, kind of look for one. You could basically build. You could basically answer this question with uh, Corey Kluber's arsenal, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, maybe not his straight four seamer, but everything else. I was um, tempted to say something from from Berrios's arsenal, but I didn't go there. I think we could revisit that question, and I'd probably give four different answers a month from now. Maybe we will. Yeah. Um, yeah. Final thoughts. Final thoughts. Uh, wow. Three-time AL East champs. It's it was a great year. Um, you know, I really enjoyed it. Hell of a squad. Proud of these guys. They worked hard for this. Um, but it doesn't stop here. It doesn't stop here with the division title. Still going to go win a World Series title. But uh, congratulations to the 2018 Boston Red Sox on winning three straight uh, AL East division crowns. Oakland A's fans continue to believe. Continue to support. Continue to ride that wave that we are riding right now. Need the support. Need you riding that wave. But uh, this AL wild card picture, Jared, getting very interesting. Yes, the Boston Red Sox are the clear postseason favorite or favorite to get into the postseason. No hurdles. It's looking good for them. But for the first time in a long time, the Oakland A's fans not only have a postseason spot to be excited about, but a potential division race to be excited about as well. So strap in. It's going to be a great push. My final thought is for the Yankees fans out there, including our colleague Hubs. If you honestly think that Aaron Boone is your problem, then you have lost your fucking mind. Mm-hmm. They have the third highest winning percentage in baseball. They are like nine pace for one hundred two wins. They are or nine or ten games ahead of their pace at this point last season under a different manager. And furthermore, just fucking open your eyes. The problem isn't the Yankees. It's not the Yankees roster, and it's not the Yankees manager. It's the Red Sox. <laughs> it's that you are playing in a division with a team that may not even be that much better than you, but is playing that much better than you this season. It's a historic season, and you just happen to be in that division. And as long as baseball is going to align the, the teams by division, this is going to happen every now and then. So stop looking for somebody to blame and just accept the fact that for one goddamn season, the Yankees are not in the most favorable position possible. You don't deserve everything. That's right. That's a good take. I mean, just fucking open. Jeez, deal with it. You don't need to blame somebody every time. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Still on pace for 102 wins. You can say he's working through some kinks. He's a first-year manager. That wouldn't be surprising. I mean, you can still hold your hat on literally being the best wild-card team of all time. Like, that has to mean something. (laughs) And we'll end on that. See you next week.